Hey friend, I'm Laura Lee and welcome to Living in the Light. Each week, I will sit down with a friend who is an artist or creative as they share their story of how Jesus brought them from the dark and into His glorious and powerful light. At the end of each episode, I'll be diving into a passage of scripture and bringing you truth straight from the Word of God. This is a space for you to be encouraged and to remember that your story matters and that with God, even the broken parts of your story can have incredible purpose and meaning. I'm here to bring real life to light. Hey friends, I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast today, Kate Battistelli. Kate is the author of the bestseller, The God Dare, Will You Choose to Believe the Impossible, and Growing Great Kids, Partner with God to Cultivate His Purpose in Your Child's Life. She's mom to Grammy Award-winning artist Francesca Bettistelli, and she's the Mimi to her five children. Before she was a writer, speaker, and mother to an internationally praised worship artist, Kate was a musical theater performer, and she starred on Broadway. In today's episode, she tells her story of how she found Jesus in that season of her life. Kate is one-third of the popular Mom-to-Mom podcast, bringing the generation gap with a biblical example of mentoring in every season of motherhood. Kate brings wisdom to the podcast today, having experienced more life and hardship than I can fathom, but stands on the other side of it all, praising God, encouraging us to have faith in who God says He is. Here is my conversation with Kate Bettistelli. Well, Kate, I am so honored to have you on the podcast today. I just want to start from the beginning of your story in artistry. Before you were a writer and a teacher and a mother of an internationally recognized worship artist, you were on Broadway. So what did your journey in performing look like and what role did that experience play in your story? You know, it's interesting. Um, I kind of took a circuitous route to get to the stage. I I knew that I always wanted to perform. I loved to sing. Singing was kind of my route because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to four colleges in two years and I didn't graduate from any of them. So I'm kind of that that weird person. I, I knew what I loved. I loved performing. I loved singing. But school just wasn't, I just wasn't finding it there. Now, I did get on the dean's list, I have to say. But I just couldn't figure out the whole college thing for me just wasn't working. I think I'd do okay with it today. But back then... It, everywhere I would go, just it just wasn't happening. So finally, I just said, to heck with all of this. And in my, I lived in New Jersey at the time, and I found some community theater, and they were doing a production. I think it was Jacques Brel, which I didn't know a whole lot about, but it was kind of a, a musical review. And I thought, well, I could do this. And I auditioned, and I got cast. And I think I had one song, which was, okay, that's easy to do. And I'd always been singing, even in high school, we had a great music teacher that a great, actually, she was a, a singing teacher that was, a, you know, teaching you voice. And I did well. And she liked my voice and told me I, I had a good voice. So I kept singing and singing, doing more and more of that. And I started with this community theater and got one role after another and realized this is something that I'm good at. I can actually do this. And because I lived in New Jersey, well, that's right next to New York City. So Little by little, I started auditioning in New York for small things, you know, for children's theater, for little things, little regional theater. And you start branching out and building a resume. And little by little, I started doing more things, bigger things, regional theater. And eventually, I went out for the Broadway national tour of The King and I for the understudy because I was young. I was in my mid-20s. There was no way I was going to go out for a big, giant role like that. But for the understudy... That There was a shot for that. Well, I got cast, which was amazing. And I thought, well, this is great. I'll never get to play the part. But hey, it's on my resume. I'll yeah. make some money. What an and iconic a, show. Yeah, It's a huge iconic show. And it was starring Yul Brynner, who is in the original movie back in the 50s. So this is the mid, this is the early night. This is 1981. I'm 26 years old. I'm thinking this is great. I'm going to get to go out there and, you know, see the country and go all over and and tour all around. So I got cast and I'm thinking, this is awesome. Well, about two, and I'm in the chorus. Okay. So I'm, and here I am blonde hair, blue eyed playing a Siamese slave actually in the play. I'm not one of the princesses because I wasn't, I couldn't do that. I wasn't, 
I wasn't Asian, but I was in the way in the back. Yul Brynner, so one, one thing that he told me was never look up. He didn't want the audience seeing my eyes because back then they didn't use colored contacts or anything. I always had to look at the floor, which was fine. So I did. I just looked at the floor the whole time, but I played my part way in the back. Well, one night, about two months into the run of the show, I think we were in Buffalo. I came in at 7.15 for an eight o'clock show. And back then, remember, there's no cell phones, no computers, nothing. You go out, you're hanging out with the girls during the day. You come in at 7.15 for an eight o'clock show. Well, I walk in, the stage manager runs to the stage door, grabs me by the shoulder, says, she's sick, you're on. And I mean, in that moment, I pretty much freaked out because I had 45 minutes to go whistle a happy tune. You know, I mean... (laughs) I, I I had been rehearsing all along because you rehearse with the stage manager. I was hired as the understudy. So you're, you're always rehearsing your part. You know it backwards and forwards, but I'd never handled the props. I'd never worn the costumes. I'd never put on the makeup. I'd never rehearsed a scene with Yul Brynner. Mm. I was terrified. But in that moment, you realize sometimes you just have to do it the afraid. Show must you, you go don't, on. Yeah, the show must go on. You don't have a you don't have any excuse. This is what you're being paid for. Yeah. So I went out and did the show. Now you'll appreciate this. I went so fast. I cut 15 minutes off a three hour show. Oh (laughs) my gosh. I bet they were like, we love having Kate on. Oh my gosh. I was, I was nervous. So I just went really fast. 15 minutes. Wow. (laughs) 15 minutes. And his one, Yul Brynner's one note to me, and and a lot of your audience may not know who Yul Brynner is. They're going, who's she talking about? But if you've ever seen the original movie, the 1954 movie, he was the original king and he my mom and grandmother are going to really appreciate this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he was. He was the original pharaoh in uh, the Ten Commandments. He was mm-hmm. he's been in a, a million movies, the ball guy, you know, iconic, huge, huge star back then. Today, a lot of people won't know who he is. He's he's been gone. He died back in the 1980s, but very imposing, very terrifying, especially to a young actress. So, you know, you you meet him on stage for the first time, it's pretty terrifying. But so his only note to me was, darling, slow down a little bit. So I slowed down. So, for, you know, I got to go on for two weeks for the leading lady because she had pneumonia. So I went on for two weeks. She came back to the show. I went back to the chorus because that's what you do. You know, you're basically just an insurance policy for the producers. You never, they don't expect you're going to go on. You don't expect to go on. I did get to go on and I thought, well, that was great. What an awesome thing I got to do. It'll be great on my resume thinking that was it, that that was it. I'll, you know, go back to New York and that's it. Well, about a month or so later, I get a call from the producer that the producers have bought out the leading lady's contract, sent her home, and they're wanting to put me in the role. I was in my mid-20s, and you know it does not happen that way. Understudies don't take over for leading ladies. My gosh. And I thought, I didn't know what was happening. I was so young. I didn't even have a good agent at the time. I eventually got a good agent. But back then, this is the mid, this is 1981. I didn't know what was happening. I just said, well, sure. Okay. That sounds good to me. I didn't know what to do. I just said, okay, because I figured, well, this sounded like a really good break for me. And it was, you know, it was an awesome opportunity to take over a big role like that. I didn't even understand the impact of what that meant, but I said yes and stepped into this role. And at this point, remember, I I haven't met the Lord yet in my life, but I look back now and I think, Lord, you were definitely up to something. You were already wooing me. You were already showing me something about my worth because I've always struggled with that, with with Hmm. where my worth was. And God's already starting to show me. You are so you have such worth in my eyes, even though you didn't feel it from your family or from your parents. And yet I'm starting to show you where your worth lies. It's not on the stage. It's not at all. But yet I want to show I want you to see, you know what I mean? It was like this interesting thing he was starting to show me before I even knew who he was. So anyway, I get this call and I'm thinking, okay, not understanding what any of this is about, but and and this, you know, she goes back, she goes back to New York and this just, it just doesn't happen this way with understudies. Producers always bring in a ringer. They bring somebody famous in or somebody else, but it that's how it happened for me. And I still look back to this day and go, I mean, today with social media, I can't even imagine how big a story that would be. But back then I think it was a little column and variety, you know, it was just some little thing, but you know, it happened for me. I ended up doing the show for gosh, almost three years, about a thousand performances all over the 
country with Yul Brynner, this gigantic star, met my husband. He ended up joining about six months later as the associate conductor. We literally met and fell in love across the footlights because I saw him down in the orchestra pit. Oh my god! And we, I noticed him. I thought, well, who's that cute guy down there? Because you know, somebody new joins the cast yeah. or joins the orchestra. You notice. notice him. <laughs> you see everything. And he was really cute. And I thought, well, all right, we got to find out who, find out the scoop on that guy. And mm. you know, we just met and literally fell in love. So. You know, he joined the tour and in 1983, I left the show in May and we got married in July. And then it wasn't, it was still a little bit after that, that we met the Lord, but yeah, it's, it was quite, quite an experience to do something like that, you know, to just take on a role that big. That's probably the biggest, one of the biggest roles for a female in all of musical theater history, because you're on the stage in the three hour show, you're on the stage about two and a half hours. You're really hardly off except for, you know, a couple duets that people sing and, and that's it. And the big ballet in the second act, and that's it. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. You're, you are carrying the show for sure. So that's amazing. Uh, uh, only God. I really, I really resonate to your story. I didn't take over Anna and the King and I, but I'm only 24 and was quickly propelled into a leading role in a Broadway production and didn't have any regional, I had one regional show on my resume. So it was definitely God that was carrying me through that time. And um, it's cool to hear that that was the same for you. Oh, yeah. And I love that you said God equipped you to do what he called you to do. Yeah. So I have to ask what did you, Kate, learn about the character and nature of God through that time in your life? Well, I, I learned he's very patient. <laughs> I'll tell you. He waited for me for a long time. But, you know, well, he does equip you. That's the cool thing, that, that he will equip you if, if you if, if you continue to develop what he's given you, he will equip you. You know, I always was very diligent with the gifts that he gave me. I continually took classes. I I did whatever, whatever I knew that I was good at, I worked hard at. And even the things, particularly things that I wasn't really good at, like I was never a very good dancer. But I continued to take classes and tried to get better. I knew I was never going to be a Broadway dancer, but I would always be one that could move well. You know, I could do the polka. I could not fall down and you know, embarrass myself, but I could, hey, that's not easy. Well, it's not easy, but you know, you want to move well on stage and look like, you know what you're doing. So you always want to just, um, I, I think just try to equip yourself with classes. Do, do just, just keep trying to learn. I think that's the thing. Never get to the point where you think, you know, it all. Cause you never do. We yeah. can always learn more. Yeah. Well, on the podcast, we talk about how the light of Jesus takes us from the dark and into his glorious and powerful light. When did you find Jesus and how did he change your life? Well, like I said, I was older when I met the Lord. We grew up, I grew up going to an Episcopal church, but I never really knew who Jesus was. You know, we learned about him, but I never knew him. I never accepted him into my heart. So my, my husband and I, we were both older. I was 29 when I met the Lord. And it's interesting. We were living in New York. I'd left the show by this point, And we were both pursuing our careers, hot and heavy. Mike was conducting on Broadway and Radio City Music Hall, doing all that stuff. And I was, you know, just doing all kinds of different things in the city. And we were pursuing our careers 100%. And we had a friend in New York. She was a born-again Jewish gal. And we, we both, we had a little side business that we were working. And we were both in business together. And she kept inviting us to church. And she kept inviting us. And we kept saying, no, we're good. And she kept inviting us. And she was pretty relentless with us. And eventually, you know, it gets to the point where it would be rude to say no one more time. So she, it was March of 1983. And she said, oh, just come with me on a Friday night. You're going to love the music. This church has a great gospel choir. So we were like, oh, okay, let's just get this over with. Let's just go. So it was a Friday night and we, and it was on the last stop on the F train in Jamaica, Queens. And we were like, oh, okay, let's just do this. Like a 40 minute drive on the subway, but all right, let's just go. So we went and it was an all black church, a holiness church. And I'm an Episcopal girl. I don't know what that even means, but we walk in the door of this church and the Holy Spirit is alive and well in this place. And when that hits you for the first time and you don't know what it is, you just know that something different is is hitting you and you know that this feels different and this is a little scary, but cool. And you want to know more, but at the same time, it's that, 
I don't know what this is, but I, I got to find out more. But at the same time, you know, it's that kind of push me, pull you thing. But we walk in and there's crutches hanging on the walls and wheelchairs. And we're thinking, what does that mean? Well, it's people that have been healed because there's a lot of power in this church. Just wow. cool stuff that's happened. And But the women are sitting on one side. The men are sitting on the other. The women are all dressed in, you know, no, every all of them are wearing skirts or dresses. Nobody wears pants, no jewelry, no makeup. Cause it, in a holiness church, I guess that's how it, oops, sorry. That's how it's done. So I'm on one side with my, with our friend, June, Mike's on the other side and the pastor, this great pastor, who's just pretty much pointing at us the whole time. Cause we're the only white faces in this church. She sits us in the front row. I mean, I know oh she, she had communicated with him that we were the ones that night that needed Jesus. Okay. As soon as the, you know, the call went forward for salvation, our hands went up in the air and truly we never looked back since then, since March 31st, 1983, we have not looked back. It was just, it was just such a sense of the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit just grabbed us that night. We were just, it was meant to be that night Mm. and he grabbed a hold of us and we just never looked back. And, and I mean, truly don't stop inviting people to church, you know, or to know the Lord, because people will say, no, I said, no, we probably said no a dozen times to her, but she was just gentle and polite, but she would not stop inviting us to come to church or inviting them to come to Bible study. Or like we have a life group in our home. We invite people all the time. We keep saying, yeah, come on, come Tuesday night. And we just keep inviting them. We're gentle, but we're firm, you know, we're firm and we're relentless and we don't stop inviting. And eventually some of them will come, you know, and hopefully they'll meet the Lord there. So I think that's a good thing. But um, since we we met the Lord and we just, we kept on, you know, and we kept pressing in and we kept going to church and eventually moved out of New York and found other churches that we've gone to, but it's been, it's been a journey. It's been interesting up and down, but, but really good. Oh, up and down a journey. That's what this life is. Well, will you share with the listeners what God has done through your life since then? I know that's a big question, but I believe you have some big answers for us. Well, you know, we laid everything down. We moved out of New York City and into a life of home business and homeschooling. But I'll I'll tell you, when after we met the Lord, we were still living in New York. We were still pursuing our careers. and, And we had our daughter, Francesca, the next year in 1984. No, 1985. Let me think. No, I was wrong about the date. We met the Lord in 1984, March 31st, 1984. Yeah, I want to get that right. We had Franny in 1985. And then over the next year or so, we started getting this unease in our spirit. And we didn't really understand what it was. But the Holy Spirit was starting to work on both Mike and I. He was starting to to let us know that the careers that we were following were not God's path for us. And we couldn't really understand that because we worked our whole lives trying to build up these careers. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to win a Tony. I mean, if you're pursuing the theater, that's what you want. That's the ultimate goal. And I figured, well, God, you have me in this life. Of course, fame and fortune is my goal. But God started working on us and he's working on Mike too. And it was just like, you know what? That's not the path that I have for you. So we started really praying about it, digging deep, getting some good counsel. Cause I always tell people, if you feel that the Lord is stirring something in you, don't, don't just, don't just take it on on your own. Get some counsel from mature Christians, Christians who've known the Lord longer than you. Cause we only knew the Lord for a couple of years at that point. So we got some good counsel, um, really prayed about it. And we, we realized this is the Lord's path. He's asking us to lay down the lives that we had pursued all this time. I mean, my husband has a doctorate in conducting. It made no sense for him to lay that down, except that it made complete sense in the Lord's eyes, because this is what God was calling him to do. It's kind of like Abraham, lay, lay down everything you know, walk away from everything you know, and go to a land that I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you, but I'll show you. And Abraham did, and God accounted it to him for righteousness, and God changed the world through Abraham. So, we said, yes, we'll do this. And it was hard. And we moved to New Jersey for a few years because we still wanted to be 45 minutes from Broadway. But eventually we moved down to Florida and our agents thought, my agents thought I was crazy. Our friends thought we were nuts. You know, in the natural, it made no sense. But but in God's eyes, it made complete sense. And today, I mean, I look back and it was absolutely the right thing to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. 
But at the time it was, it was hard. And those kind of, I call them 90 degree turns. You're going this way. And God says, nope, turn left, leave everything and turn left. And sometimes God will ask that. And it, it won't make sense it because in, you know, the spirit and the flesh are always going to be at odds. You know, they're always going to fight each other. And if we listen to the flesh, we're always going to be wrong. You know, it's so that's why it's so important to be led by the spirit. The Bible says those that are led by the spirit are sons of God. Mm. I want to be a son of God. Yeah. I do not want to be a son of the flesh. You know, I always want to be a son of God. So we listened we left, we, we moved back to New Jersey for a few years, home business, homeschooling, started to raise our daughter. And then when Franny was about two and a half, I suffered an ectopic pregnancy. I got pregnant again. That was an ectopic or a tubal pregnancy. Hmm. You can't, the baby can't survive. So we lost that baby. And then I went through infertility and they realized that I wasn't going to be able to have any more children. So we thought, well, let's adopt. We had a number of failed adoptions, and that's that's all. I talk about all that in The God Dare. I talk about that in my book and just kept going through that. And it was like, Lord, what I want is good. You know, I, I want to raise children to love you and know you and honor you. Why aren't you giving me what I want? You're supposed to be a good father who gives good gifts. I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. But God kept saying, you're, you're going to raise an only child. And it made no sense. I'm the crazy woman who wanted five kids. I was like, God, what, are you, what is the deal here? You know, I couldn't understand it because what I wanted, I wanted God for what he could give me. And it wasn't until I was at a worship conference and I was deep in worship. And I haven't heard the Lord speak in my spirit very often, but I, every now and then I've heard him. And I heard him when I was deep in worship, I just heard him say, am I enough? And something inside me just broke because I realized I've only wanted him for what he could give me. I've not wanted him just for who he is. And in that moment, I realized if I didn't get one more thing for him, he is enough. God in, is enough. And no matter the path that he takes me on, I, I say this all the time to, to people, to women, to whoever, will you let Jesus pick? Does he get to pick your future? Whether it involves children or a husband or, you know, whatever it is, we have to let him pick, you know, because we don't know. I didn't know the, the future that I picked was five kids. Jesus said, no, nope, you don't. That's not the future that I've picked for you. I've picked one. And what he's done with her, you know, I wanted fame and fortune. I wanted the Tony Award. But our, my daughter, she didn't. That wasn't what she wanted. She wasn't seeking fame. But God said, I'm going to use her to speak to a generation and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use fame as a way that she can speak to a generation. Cause that's not her heart is not for fame. And that's that, that whole part of it. She doesn't even really like the fame thing, but because, because of that, he can use fame the right way through her. You know what I mean? He can use it in a way that's not, it's not a trap for her. For me, it just would have been a trap. It would have been an ego thing, a pride thing. So, you know, it just, but all that, that infertility, all that stuff for me just became utter disappointment in God, depression, all that stuff. But then he did this whole new thing for me. And then, then he opened this whole thing up with writing and podcasting and, you know, who knows what God's going to do when you just wow. let him. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. He had almost a second life for yeah. you. Um, he did. To disciple a generation rising yeah. up beneath you. And let's talk about that. Your book, sure, uh, The God Dare. I'm really excited to get my hands on this book. Uh, what is a God Dare, Kate? And how was writing this book a God Dare in itself? Well, you know, a God Dare is that, have you, have you ever had that crazy idea that drops in your spirit that you just think, Whoa, that is cool, God, but oh no, that is too big for me. That's yeah. way outside my comfort yeah. zone. There's no way that that can't be for me. Yeah, that that that's that's it. It's one of those things that comes in your in your spirit and you just think that's impossible, Lord. But one thing I say in the God there is the impossible is God's comfort zone. That's where God lives. You know, all we can ever do is the possible. That's all I can do. I can't open blind eyes. I can't raise the dead. I can't do any of that. That's, that's, that's impossible, but that's where God lives. You know, that's what he, that's his, that's his thing. So but when I open, that is, but when I open myself up to that, then God can use me for that. Now he's never, I've never opened blind eyes or raised the dead, but Hey, it could happen. 
you know? So, I mean, all those things are possible if we open ourselves to them. So that's really what a God dare is. And, and writing the book, it's interesting. I, I wrote a book back in 2012, and, and that's how I came up with the concept of the God dare because God dared me to write my first book. I had, Mike and I, we'd homeschooled our daughter most of our years. So when we were in Florida, we were part of this um, like umbrella homeschooling group and they were having their big 20th anniversary and they asked us to come and speak by this time, Franny had signed her record deal and been in New York and, and you know, had songs, or not New York, in Nashville, had songs on the radio, started to do well. And they wanted us to come and speak to the parents about, you know, um, what, what did you do to raise her to find her purpose? Not to become famous, but just to find her purpose and how, how did you raise her that she's still pursuing the Lord? Because so many kids hit 18 and they're, they leave, you know, they stop following the Lord. So what did you do specifically? And I thought, you know, will you come talk to the parents? And I said, sure, we'd love to come talk to the parents. And I hung up the phone and I went, what the heck did we do? So I said to Mike, you know what, let's sit down and talk about this because we didn't follow a manual. You know, you're just raising your child. But when we talked about it, we came up with 15 really specific things that we did. So we gave our talk a couple of weeks later and then it was received really well. And the next day I'm just praying and thanking the Lord for those 15 things. And just as I'm specifically thanking him again, I hear him say in my spirit, I hear the Lord say, those are book chapters. And mm. I mean, I, I just went, God, do, do you remember that I didn't graduate college? <laughs> I don't have a degree in English. Who's going to read it? Who's going to publish it? I have no platform. I started giving every excuse in the book. And I just kept hearing God say, those are book chapters. Are you in need of some friendship and encouragement? At the beginning of quarantine, I started the community College Girls for Christ as a place for us to gather to study God's Word and to grow in our faith together. We need each other to keep our eyes on Jesus and to step into the fullness of what He's called us to in this life. I love encouraging the women younger than me through discipleship to rise up. My life has been changed by women discipling me and I believe that our greatest purpose is to live in light of Jesus' instructions to go and make disciples of all nations. So if you're seeking community or you're my age and you're wanting to disciple and get to know some fun girls younger than you, sign up in the link in the show description. We just finished a study and we'll be doing some fun connecting in the coming weeks before we begin our Advent study starting the 1st of December. I cannot wait. So join us. I mean, what do you do with that? You know, it was, it made no sense. Cause it, I mean, if I always loved writing, I'm a good writer. I mean, I always journaled always stuff like that. I knew I could write, but the thought of a book, I thought in my mind, it was like, you have to have a college degree in English to write a book. That's just what I, what I had always associated. So it was like, so outside my comfort zone but God dared me. And I thought, all right. And then I found a friend who was a writing coach, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I took this to her and said, tell me, talk me out of this. Tell me I'm crazy. And she looked at my idea, said, nope, those are book chapters. This is a book. We're going to, I'm going to help you. You're going to write it and we'll get it published. And we did. I mean, everything about it made no sense, but yet because God, because it was God's idea, I was able to do it and get it published and everything. So once I did that, I thought, God, you dared me, didn't you? You triple dog dared me to write that <laughs> book. Where else do you do this? And Laura Lee, I started looking through the Bible. I saw it all through scripture, <sighs> all through scripture. And that's the God dare. There's, I use 14 different biblical heroes that we all know and love. Well, most of them we know. Some are a little more obscure, but where I just use a little bit of my memoir, but then, then where I talk about these different, the different ways God dared these different folks in the Bible that, that I just started seeing it all through scripture. And I thought, all right, if he did that to me, I know he does it all through scripture. And, you know, he does it all the time. There's a really interesting story. You know who Reinhard Bonnke is? 
He's like, no, you not have heard it. You'll, you'll know. He's like the Billy Graham of, of Africa. He, he became, he's German. He's, he's gone now, but he was huge like that. And he, millions of people came, came into the kingdom because of Reinhard Bonnke, huge evangelist. The Lord told him, let him know that he was his third choice. Can you imagine? He told him you were number three. I asked two other guys to take on this role and they said no to me. He dared to three of the two other people, but Reinhard Bonnke said, yeah, can you, how, how humbling that would be to find that? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I picked two other people, but my, one of my whole points in the God dare is that we have to choose to be chosen. We have to say yes to God. It's up to us to choose to be chosen to change the world. And if we say it, because we can say no, you could have said no. And God said, hey, I'm picking you to, you know, to be a star on Broadway. You said, no, I'm too scared. I don't want to do that. But you said yes, or for whatever else God's going to go, or to podcast. You could have said, I don't want to do that, but you're doing it, you know, or whatever else God dares you to do. And I'm sure there'll be more because you're 24. Mm. Trust me, there'll be a lot more and it'll mm. be scarier. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, I can already tell you're going to step out and do it because that's how you are. Mm. So, but that's a great thing, you know, that you're willing to do that. We need more people that are willing to just step out and do it. And that's, that's the whole point of the God. You're kind of a kick in the pants of the church to, just step out. Cause I think particularly in America, we've gotten soft. We've gotten so comfortable. We're just like, yeah, that's good. I don't really want to talk to my neighbor or do the hard thing. We need to start doing the hard thing. You know, our country's falling apart. We can see what's happened just with COVID, you know, we're just yeah. with this election. And it's sad that that's a hard thing. Yeah. Like he does way harder things than talking to our neighbor or seriously reaching out to a person in our sphere, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that your message is about God being a God of the impossible. I think it's hard. Um, I've been struggling with that lately, just not doubting that God's in control in this time and believing that he can make a miracle out of this mess as quickly as we made a mess out of it. So, um, I would just love some encouragement on, um, those of us who are struggling believing that God is a God of the impossible. Oh, he definitely is. I mean, gosh, just read the Bible, read something like read this, read in judges, read about Gideon. I love that story of Gideon. I love how Gideon's hiding down in the Uh, wine press or whatever it is where he's threshing grain. So nobody can see him and how the angel come up and comes up to him and says, Oh, mighty man of God. And you can just see Gideon just kind of going like who me? (laughs) I love that story because he's so, he doesn't believe believe it about himself. And the angel has to tell him, this is how I, this is how God sees you. You know, we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And I, th- I don't see myself the way God sees me. You know, I've really struggled with that over, over the years. And God's just lately really honing in on that, on me, that whole worthiness thing. I think because growing up that way, it was, that was a hard word. That was just a hard one for me. And when God tells me even today that you're worthy, it, it, it it almost like something rises up in me that just wants to say, no, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not. And God just wants to, I just, he just wants to slap me almost to say, yes, you are. We have to read his word and read what his word says. We have to take that as truth. The enemy will try to pound into us his lie, and we have to pound into ourselves his truth. If it means taking those truths and putting them on sticky notes all over our house so we can read them every day, that we are bold, we are beautiful, we are his bride, we are worthy, we are all the things that he says. It's his truth that matters because I've listened to the enemy's truth. I'm in my 60s. I've listened for six decades to the enemy's lies, and I have to learn to listen to his truth, to God's truth. That's that's the thing that we don't do. It's it. We're all so quick to listen to the lies, and it's just it's just time to stop it, you know, because if we listen to the lies, we'll never do what God's calling us to do because the enemy will talk us out of it every time because he'll make us afraid, 
fear will stop us every single time. It's stopped me a million times in my life and I, I can't let it. It's almost good, like just back to the king and I, when you're the understudy and you have to go on, it doesn't matter if you're afraid because you can't not do it. It's almost better to be in that situation where you, you can't, you have to. It's, it's like too bad. You have somebody's going to kick you out on the stage and you have to go do it. That's a better situation to be in. And that's how we should see this, this work <laughs> on earth that there's, we're on a mission and there's no yeah. choice. There's no way out. There is the harvest is plentiful and the labors are yes. few. Yeah. Amen. Um, yeah. I love that. You just said the word of God, that that's yeah. where we are to look. That's what we're to cling yeah. to. It's the only thing that refreshes my soul. Um, oh, I'm sure yeah. you feel the same. I mean, I could yes. do all kinds of things in my day to try to distract myself from the discouragement I feel. But the second I get in the word of God, it just fills me back up. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's faith. So why do you think it's important to have just this concept of faith? I think it's so simple, but it's, you know, yesterday I was reading where Jesus says in the book of Mark, he says, do not be afraid, just believe. And that mm. phrase was getting me through the day yesterday to think, he says, do not be afraid, just believe. And that's what he finds awe in. I mean, that's what he rejoices over is just a seed of belief. So why do you think it's important to have faith in God? Well, the word says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, I mean, mm. right there, you know. I, I want to please him. I want to yeah. get to heaven and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. If I don't hear those words, I, I would, I, well, if I don't hear those words, I guess I'm not going to heaven. So, <laughs> you know, more than anything, that 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 terrifies me to think that I wouldn't please him. So, so that that for me is, is really it, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And my heart just aches to please God, yeah. you know, to please Jesus, to please the Holy Spirit and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I just, I have to have faith. And and I think it just what we're coming, going into in this world, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. The world continues to get darker and darker and darker. Evil is going to rise. I mean, we know that it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Christians are going to shine brighter, I think. And I think faith, faith, it's going to have to get stronger. We're going to have to really know where we stand with the Lord. We're going to have to know who we are because we're just going to have to know, you know, there's going to have to be a dividing line between those who truly know the Lord and those who don't. You're going to you're going to see it's going to be very clear, I think, who's who are the sheep and who are the goats as the days go on, mm. you know, I mean, in the beginning, he separated lots of things and he is a God of separation that he wants he us he's so jealous for us and for our hearts he that he cares that much um he does so yeah i love that um and it just makes me think that just how gracious and merciful jesus is that when we fear him and we look to him we're not going to get it right every single day but he just loves us enough to let us keep coming back and it's that it, the faith is not the perfection the faith is just belief that he's good and um he's still with us amen so what is i want to talk a little bit to if there's anybody listening who maybe has a child or a teenager or a college student in the performing arts because you bring perspective to this with having a daughter, Francesca, who has had so much success in um, the music industry. What's one word of advice you would give to the mom listening who's raising up a child, pursuing their God dare, as you say, um, as an artist? I would say two things. First, don't be afraid to dream big. Mm. I was never afraid to dream big for our daughter. Um, Mike and I both, you know, we, I had I had, God would show me things. I would dream, I would see things and I wasn't afraid to dream big and to pray big for her, but make sure you're praying what God's showing you. Dig deep with the Lord. Let him show you his dreams. You don't, you don't want that. If you ever saw American Idol back in the early days, when the parents would bring the child who just couldn't carry a tune in a bucket and they thought that she was the greatest thing on earth. And then Simon Cowell would tell the truth. You don't want that always get that outside 
affirmation. Make sure that you that your child truly is good at whatever it is that you believe they're good at. That. But if you know that they're that they're talented and they're gifted, then dig deep with the Lord. He will show you if you dig with him and find out because God showed me stuff about Franny. I mean, he's talking to me about Grammys when she's 16 and I'm thinking, Lord, what on earth? But I wasn't afraid. And I didn't share that with people. You don't want to talk about that in front of the world, but I would pray about it. And I would think, oh, OK, Lord, all righty. And then at 24, I think was when she got nominated for her first Grammy. Now, she didn't win. I forget how old she was, but she did win one. She's been nominated a bunch of times, but, and that wasn't ever the point, but it was just a cool thing for that to even happen. You know, that's, that's never the, the point of any of it, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when it happens, but God would just show me things. And I, I, I just think it's, don't be afraid to dream big. Don't be afraid to have those big dreams because God can use fame for his glory and there's nothing wrong with fame as long as that's not the point of why you're you're wanting your child to a- achieve big things. You just have to really be careful with your own pride. With you know what I mean is because parents we can be proud of our kids and there's nothing wrong with that. You just don't want it to to become. You don't want to be the parent that when you you come up to the group they're going oh gosh all she's going to do is talk about her kid. And then the other thing I would say to to moms and dads. Speak life over your child. Speak out the word over your child. Pray, pray the word over them. One thing I lacked growing up, my my parents never called out my gifts. I was never told, man, you're a great singer. God has a plan for you. You're going to do something. I don't ever remember anybody doing that for me. And I, I got into a lot of bad things. We didn't really talk about this at all in, in, in this but I'll mention it now. I got pregnant at 18. I didn't know what I was doing. I was involved with a boy at 16. I got way off on the wrong track. It was 1972 before Roe v. Wade. I had to go to New York City to have an abortion at 18. I mean, it was a horrible part of my story. I did not talk about that for four decades. I finally put a chapter in my book about it because God dared me to. I didn't tell anybody in my family. I didn't tell friends for Gosh, for four, literally for four decades till God said, you need to put this in your book because there's so many women, especially of your generation, for whom that was, um, that wasn't something you shattered from the rooftops. Today, women are like, yeah, I've had three abortions and I'm proud of it. Back then, it was filled with shame and guilt. And it still is for a lot of women. But today, because I've been able to fully receive forgiveness. I knew the Lord forgave me. I couldn't forgive myself, but because I was such a mess when I was young, because nobody ever guided me. Nobody ever said, God has a plan for you. There's something special about you and about your life. So I just tell parents, please tell your kids, there's something amazing about them. God has a plan. If you know what that thing is, call it out. Call, speak the word over them, pray the word and call out their gifts because it's going to make a difference. I know it would have made a difference for me. We, we did that a ton for, for, my, for our daughter and I see her doing it for her kids. And it's so cool to see her doing that with my grandchildren. By the way, I wanted five. I didn't get them, but I have five grandkids, which is just- Look God's at that. Life. Look at God. <laughs> He's so awesome. A prayer gets answered I know, eventually. It does. I'll tell you. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. There's so much power and encouragement. And I've really been thinking about that recently because words just hold a lot of weight. Oh, so and much power. One one word of encouragement to someone can change their life. And I just think about how that's been such a part of my life. And um, I think I take it lightly when I give someone encouragement, but if I would give it with belief that God gives us encouraging words to to deliver to people around us, it's just, are we looking for ways to draw that out of them? That's mm-hmm. just such a powerful way to build up the body of Christ. So I don't know. I just feel called to say, whoever's listening, if there's someone in your life who you feel like needs a word of encouragement today, pick up the phone and call them and give it to them because we need it right now. It's discouraging and um, you have a lot of power to to deliver that to them. Well, and especially with so many, you hear so much about, especially right now with so many suicides going on, so many awful things, you know, yeah, yeah. if just that one word could make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And 
to know, I, even if it's words about what God says about them, you may not even know that much about, you may not be their parent and can pull out the, you know, the special giftings that mm-hmm. they have inside of them. Cause that's a unique relationship, but specifically being able to say like, someone said to me the other day, God is amazed by you. And that just has replayed in my mind that the enemy doesn't want us to believe those things. So we'll so quickly um, just pass that by. And we need twice as many reminders because we're just feeding that negativity um, in our sinful nature. So when we hear that spoken over us, it has a lot of power. So I love that. I hope to be able to do that for my children one day. Amen. Okay, so at the end of every episode, Kate, I asked two fun questions. And I was reading on your blog, and I love that you love hospitality. I'm also from the South, and my mom is has a beautiful gifting in hospitality, and my sister is right now producing a cookbook, so I have hospitable people all around me. And um, so I want to ask, is there one, we're having Thanksgiving at my family's new farm this Thanksgiving. And so I thought I would ask you, what is one dish, Thanksgiving dish that you would recommend and one dessert that you would recommend? And I thought I would link them in the show notes for anybody interested. Well, I do have um, a, a really good, my tur- I do like my turkey and stuffing. They are really good. Okay. I could send you those. I would and love I that. make a, a really good upside down apple pie, which is <gasps> interesting. Oh, yeah. apple pie is my favorite. Put like the caramel stuff on the bottom. And then when you flip it, you have this, it's pretty cool. It can get a little messy, but it's really awesome. It's People really love yummy. it when they make it. Yeah, it's a cool pie. Okay, Upside I'm gonna make down that apple pie. Yeah, it's good. It's and it's not that hard. I mean, it's a regular apple pie, but you just put this caramelly, brown sugary stuff on the bottom. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> okay, and then my other question is, what was your favorite part of performing eight shows a week on Broadway? I never got to do this. I got three shows before COVID closed everything down. So oh. I'd love to hear oh. what you loved about it. I think, you know, it's it's hard physical work, but it's amazing too, because you are bound pretty closely to your cast. You really do get to know them because you're there, like, feels like all day, every day. We were, this, and we were there, we didn't do Wednesday matinees because Yul Brynner didn't like that. So we were there, we do Friday night, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. So by Sunday night, you were wiped, but all that whole weekend, you were there with everybody the whole time. So you really got to know everybody closely and the the other cool thing was you'd get a sense right away about your audience you kind of would get bonded to your audience too and you'd know if they were with you pretty much right away but even if they were a quiet audience it didn't mean that they weren't with you and oftentimes even sometimes the quietest audiences you'd get the biggest standing ovation at the end like you couldn't always judge and think that oh they're bored or they're whatever because sometimes they would be the ones just because they were quiet didn't mean that they weren't totally with you so you would never really know but i don't know sometimes those quiet audiences they're the ones that are really listening and really focused in on every single thing so it was it was just interesting to kind of get the personality you would you would sense personalities in the audience it was very interesting and we played one thing back then when we would do a tour, you would spend a month, up up to five months in cities. It wasn't these one week tour. You would spend at least a month everywhere we went. So yeah, you were there for a long time and we were in big 5,000 seat theaters. So these were big theaters. They weren't little, like Broadway theaters are much smaller than where we would go. We would be yeah. in big, big, big places. So it was different, mm. a little bit different back in the eighties. Okay, I have one more question. Okay. <laughs> how has crafting and creating a book and a message in ministry, how has that been a similar experience to creating a character in a show? Well, I think a book takes on a personality just like a, a character in a show has a personality. So you kind of have to figure out how that, what that personality is like. And, and I know for the God Dare, that personality is pretty much in your face. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting right up in there and telling, telling the the reader, you know, here's what I think and here's you, you how it that, is. And you bring the Enneagram Eight to the yes, I the do. <laughs> about me yes I do I I am that in in the eight and I am definitely kind of wanting people to to get here's 
you know, here's the scoop. I'm not that flowy, sweet, poetic writer. I'm just very much kind of, here's what I think and here's how it is. And, you know, I hope you're with me on this, but I really do think a, a book will have its own character, its own personality, just like the character that you're playing. You have to figure out who that personality is, what's their background and their backstory. And you kind of have to figure all that out before you, you know, step on stage and before you say a word, you have to know all that. So you also have to know that about the book that you're writing, kind of figure all those things out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kay, thank you for coming on the show today. It was such a blessing. Thank you, Laura Lee. It was my pleasure. What a word from Kate on taking the God dare, saying yes, choosing to be chosen, and believing God is who He says He is. That's what we're going to talk about today, the power of faith. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 say, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Believing in Jesus as God's Son, sent to die for all of humanity, to bridge the gap between us and God, when we are saved when we first acknowledge and confess that we are sinful and that we are in need of a savior, we believe, we believe the truth that we read in John 3:16 that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We have moved from death to life and eternal life is promised us by God because of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. This saving faith comes from knowing and believing in Jesus through the truth of God's word. I talk a lot about the power and the inerrancy and sufficiency of God's word on this part of the podcast because it is truly what changes our lives and it's the way in which we come to know God and his character. Romans 10:17 says, "So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ." Faith is believing in God. Faith is identifying for us as followers of Christ because it is faith that unlocks the key to our identity in Him. We become a child of God. John 1:12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. What a gift. In God's Word, we read about how Jesus responded to faith. Jesus knew that a right understanding of who He is would lead to a right relationship with God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we enter relationship with God. During Jesus' ministry on earth, He performed many miracles and He actively responded to people's faith. Many unlikely people believed in Him. Roman soldiers, tax collectors, teachers of the law, those on the outer margins of society. He wasn't concerned about who they claimed to be in that regard. He cared about who they believed Him to be. Because Jesus knew that their faith in Him was what truly mattered. In the Gospels, we see Jesus acting in response to faith time and time again. A few examples in Matthew 15, 28, it says, Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Mark 10:52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus was amazed and even marveled at faith. Jesus says for those who believe, you can ask and receive from the Father. Mark 11:24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. He also says that nothing is impossible for those who believe. Mark 9:23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible for one who believes. 
Jesus tells us that blessed are those who believe. John 20, 29 says, Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says, You will never thirst. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7:38 says, Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And if you want some encouragement on the faith of the people who have come before us in this Christian walk, head over to Hebrews chapter 11, also known as the Hall of Faith, and read about the stories of the miraculous movement of God through his people, unassuming human beings who said yes to God and by faith did more by the strength and power of God than they even imagined they could. As Kate mentioned in today's episode, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, straight from the word of God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we choose to have faith, regardless of the circumstances. No matter what in this world and this life is spiraling around us, we choose to believe that God is who he says he is. It's also important to remember that we believe God and choose faith so that God is glorified. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Jesus tells us in John 15.16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Friends, we believe and are given purpose, and it is to bear fruit so that more people are ushered into the great harvest, the kingdom of God, with us when Jesus returns. Jesus reminds us that in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jenny Allen always shares this quote, and I'm going to reshare because I believe it to be so true. A.W. Tozier says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I thought I would bring to light some of the names of God that we read about in His Word to remind us today of who God is. These are only some of the names and attributes of God that we read about in His Word. Father. Holy. Jehovah, which means I am who I am. Omnipotent. Jehovah Jireh the God who provides, love, Elohim, our intercessor, merciful, just, wise, faithful, El Shaddai, God Almighty. We must choose to remind ourselves daily to believe in the God we know and love and read about in his word. The enemy wants us to forget, to doubt, to get confused, to push aside God's word, because he knows that God truly is who he says he is. And for a follower of Christ to believe him at his word scares the enemy more than anything else. I've been reading the book Believing God by Beth Moore and she talks about the power of believing God, believing him in daily, hourly, moment by moment, reminding ourselves of who he is and who we are as his chosen ones. In the book, she challenges the reader to choose to believe by repeating these five things to yourself as often as you know how. Repeat after me as I speak these truths aloud. God is who he says he is. God can do what he says he can do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. God's word is alive and active in me. Holy Father, thank you, God, that nothing is impossible with you. Thank you that we just get to have faith and believe that you are who you say you are. God, you're that good. So I just pray that you help reignite our faith today, God. Um, Just give us fresh faith, new eyes to see and to love you more. God, thank you for the word of God and just thank you for bringing all of us to this podcast today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening, friends. Stay strong. Have faith. Jesus is on the throne. I'm really excited about my guest on the podcast next week. You're going to love her, and she brings some powerful perspective to our current moment. As always, thanks to my friends Helen Kemeny and Mike Stapleton for the original music heard on the podcast, and thanks to Colleen Bruton for editing the show. Go in light and love, friend, and I will see you next week.